Hey everyone, welcome back to Contractor Growth Network. On today's episode, I am sitting down with a client of mine, Todd Tribble, who owns a painting company up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We're running all through his overall operations, how he's gotten to where he is, because he runs a very legit operation, and then video marketing as a whole, pretty much the idea of teaching an old dog new tricks. Check it all out. Hey everyone, welcome back to Contractor Growth Network. I'm Logan Schinholster, and today I have an awesome guest who's actually a client of mine, Todd Tribble, who owns Tribble Painting Company, and we're talking all things about his business because it's unbelievably impressive, one, how he operates, but two, also his leadership and ability to stick and move, if you will. So super happy to have him on, and uh, Todd, thanks, man, and I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mind just kind of giving us a, a brief background of, of who is Todd Tribble, just so everybody out there kind of knows. Sure, Logan. Thanks. Thanks uh, again for having me. Um, so I'm been in business over 30 years. I started uh, painting when I was 18, just as a way to help uh, put myself through college with uh, with no intention of being a painting contractor as a career. Um, but you know, in the town I grew up in, that's where I was painting, and people heard I was painting. And one one spring, I was dropping classes to keep up with paint jobs. So, you know, that was thirty some years ago. I really enjoy what I do. Enjoy my uh, clients and my employees. And I'm married uh, for over twenty five years. We have two college age sons. So with with the painting to to get you through college and then having to stop classes or, or or skip classes, at what point? Well, I guess what was your decision making process on that? Where you're like, you know what? Should I go to class today or should I go out there and work? <laughs> yeah, I, I think at the time, uh, you know, being nineteen, um, probably when I was, you know, going through those uh, decisions. I wasn't super focused on college. I didn't know specifically what I wanted to do. Um, I was enjoying the painting. I was good at it. Uh, I liked physical things. So I, I think that was probably my mindset at the time. Probably thinking I'd always get back to college and, and finish that. So if if your passion, I guess, or where your priorities were at the time was with the painting, did you finish college or did you drop that and, and start the company? I never did. I, I continued going back, taking classes. Um, but at some point, the company was growing and, and I was having to make a decision. And, uh, you know, doing night classes was just, I was, I was struggling to do both well. I know some people do and, I'm, and I applaud them for it. But uh, I think that's when I just decided to, to run with the, uh, the painting business. That's interesting. I see. I didn't know that. I, I knew you went to college, but I didn't know that that's how it, uh, you, how you pivoted. So what, what was that? I mean, you got two college age boys right now. What was that discussion like with your parents where you're telling them, Hey, look, I'm dropping out mom and dad. And I'm going to go start this painting company full time. Yeah. You know, really there wasn't much discussion at that time, just based on, you know, my family dynamics at, at, at that specific time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really my decision and uh, I was paying for school on my own. So, um, I, I, th- I think, you know, certainly they, they wished I would have continued with the college, uh, but, um, but it was my decision. So, 
So with, with painting, I mean, there's a lot of things that you could have done with your hands to put you through college. What drew you to the idea of, of a painting business or painting as an industry? You know, really, Logan, it was dumb luck. It was no, there, in my 18-year-old brain, there was no forethought. It was, mm -hmm. uh, it was a family friend who bought a house at a tax sale and was redoing it to, to you know, flip it and asked me if I'd paint it. Mm -hmm. And and that was the first job and it kind of stuck. I enjoyed it and just ran with it. My my dad had was a cement contractor, so I'd grown up in the you know, construction world. And I'd worked for him as a kid in, in summers. And that was extremely uh physical work compared to mm -hmm. painting. I found painting easy, uh but still uh, but still physical. Mm -hmm. um, and I like I like seeing the the end product. Like I think a lot of people, uh, you know, who are painters or in construction do. So, so how, like, I mean, you still just do painting. So how come you never pivoted into remodeling? Because I know some some people come in and they do <laughs> painting, then they they kind of move on and take on more roles or or more I guess skills or services. What what's made you always stay with just painting? Well, I, there's a couple of things. There have been times in my career where we have ventured into other things a little more mm -hmm. and, and been successful in some of them and not so much in others. Uh, light carpentry work, we, we do very well at. Uh, uh, we've found that in our area, probably like most people in the country, hiring uh, qualified carpenters has been very difficult. So we've been limited in our ability to do that. But I also made the conscious decision um, to really narrow our focus on what we're good at, to mm -hmm. keep us really in a, in a tight lane and and not venture out into things that, that uh, you know, we're going to have to learn as we go. And I do see people be very successful with that. We have, um, our success has grown once we narrowed our focus of, of you know, what we concentrate on. So walk me, walk me through that if you don't mind, because it, I see this all day long, especially with uh, like GCs, where when I ask them what services they provide, it's almost like the uh, greasy spoon diners where they've got right, breakfast, laundry lunch, list. Dinner, yeah, it, like, it's just like, it's like a fold out magazine of services. So yeah. for you, and I'm sitting here in that EO class yesterday, and what the guy said was, he said, in order for our business to grow, I actually had to downsize my staff. So the idea of taking yeah. stuff away to grow is like, it's a crazy concept. So for you, I mean, I guess like, where did the realization come that if you try to take on more work, it's actually going to hinder the business as a whole? You know, I remember probably in the... Uh early 90s going to a some conference put on by PDCA and talking to a, a another painting contractor there who was fairly well established and he, he asked me what I did and I said you know residential commercial industrial I, I, I did the laundry list mm -hmm. he said oh so you don't really know what you do <laughs> and, and at the time that really stung and I don't think I really knew what he meant other than you know felt insulted, uh, didn't know why. And, but then I just, I just realized uh, that years later, whenever we stepped outside of our lane, 
you know, the chances of success weren't very high. And when we stayed in our lane, they were very high. Our clients were very happy and, and they were going to tell other people about us. And, and once that realization come, came, it was just, it was much easier to let other things go and to say no. Um, and this, it still happens. We get phone calls and it, and it looks like a great project. It's big. It's shiny, but it's not what we do every day. So, so we're able to say no and not, not regret that. So to, to continue with that, I mean, I, I went up there in October of last year, I believe, and walked through your operation as a whole. I mean, it's, uh, we've talked about it on the podcast cause it was like, it, it was so like mind blowing to me how you have stuff color coded and everybody in the company knows exactly what's going on. Uh, it was the opposite. I think of, of, a, of a lot of people, like, I guess when they first get into the business, they assume that it's going to be like that, but we all run our businesses kind of flying by the seat of our pants for you and your operations side of things. Can you walk me through the journey of where you started all the way through just from a a 30,000 foot level, but to like where you are now, like how you learned how to be so dial in and and what's been working for you recently, if you don't mind. Sure. So kind of like a milestone of of how we got from where we are. you're, You're big on, on EOS, which I think most people out there don't know what that is, but I mean, walking through like kind of what that's done for you for your business like stuff like that sure well you know i think that the first big leap for us and i know this had a huge impact was just getting out of my home office you know when we moved into uh, an office uh, and shop that had an impact on our business and our culture um and that was sort of step one step Step two came when when I gave, was willing to give up control and hire someone to help me in the office. You know, for years my wife asked me when I was going to do that, and I said, "Well, I'm too busy. I don't have time to train anyone." So I, I was, you know, like a one arm paper hanger in a windstorm, trying to do everything. <laughs> and, um, and so, that, you know, that really helped me get to the next level. And you know, I think you know the first book I read that changed uh you know my my focus on things is the e-myth mm-hmm. which i think most people out there have probably read uh just systematize the you know the thought of having a system for everything and then you know you mentioned traction which uh, i think i read two and a half three three years ago and and we have implemented that and are in our third year of utilizing it for my management team and we have uh, started to roll it out uh, this year to to our project managers, and we're just seeing great things from from that. And uh, I think that's really going to propel us to the next level. So, just to kind of keep going with the the traction idea, can you, in your own words, kind of walk through what traction is and what EOS is and how you're applying that stuff? Sure. I mean, traction, you know, to me is is uh, is a management system of how to run things. I mean, I think we, we did most of everything in traction, but not as systematically or as refined um, uh, as, as traction makes it. Basically, it breaks down how to do a meeting. We always had meetings, but they weren't as effective as they are now using the level 10 meeting mm-hmm. you know, format that, that's right there in the book. Uh, but we always set goals 
but we didn't set goals quarterly and review them in the way that we do now or assign them necessarily to individuals. Um, and, and so all of those things have been very powerful for us. And uh, you can just, I mean, you can just feel it starting to take hold uh, with all the employees. And how are they taken to this? Because this is, I mean, it's kind of a big <clears throat> shift in things. So it's for a, them, I mean, what's it like? Uh huh. Well, I think, you know, initially, like anything, by, I think many owners, I know I'm guilty of this. You know, I, I read a book, I, I, I hear, you know, a podcast. And so they're wondering initially, is this the flavor of the month? Oh, no, Todd read a book. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you know, or, or is this going to, is this for real? So it took a while to, to get them to believe that we were doing this and then to be in. Um, but I think once they realized there was real value in it, they started to dig in. It wasn't hard. Uh, it wasn't hard for me to see the culture start to change pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. that's been true with, with our painters as well as we've uh, introduced, you know, the traction book to them and those concepts. I'm amazed how quickly they they have taken off. We've probably we did two um, quarterly sessions with them, and then did our first yearly uh, with them uh, just this week. And I was blown away at the results. So, because we do the the quarterly meetings as well, and we and everybody now has a metric. Which right. for me, some of the people like like Turner, for example, he does blogging. His metric it, to me is tough because. <clears throat> He, a lot of the stuff that with Google, to, yeah, because he like so if we measure results, it's a tougher one because Google can throw something at you and it just totally throws everything off. So, right. for let's say your painters, do you have metrics for the <clears throat> not the project managers but the actual painters? I mean, do they have numbers that you hold them accountable to? We we have not taken it down to that level yet. Okay, um, that'll be the next step, and I imagine. By the end of this year, everyone in the company will have have numbers. And, and right guys, the, sorry, go ahead. You got Todd. We've just taken it through the project managers at this point. So, guys out there, what we're talking about numbers is a metric to hold everybody accountable to. So, the idea of this is just like how a sales rep has a quota. Everybody in the company should have a number or a metric that they're, you know, like this is how their performance is measured. So with certain things like sales reps, it's super easy because it really is just a quota. This is how much you have to sell. But when you kind of get down to, because I've talked to my dad about this um, and, and Andrew and my dad's company, how do you measure, like what number does a laborer have as a whole? It starts to be kind of, I guess, difficult, or at least like I haven't it's found the, the number. Yeah. yeah, it's harder to quantify what, what, you know, they're doing every day and how to boil that down to something they can see and track and measure. Right. Cause you can't really do like, you know, brush strokes per hour. Cause that, you no. know, that's, that's so for them, all I could think of was showing up on time, you know, right. like that's like where you start. So do you have any idea of what you're going to measure on, you know, just the painters themselves? I, I don't, but I, I mean, like you, that would be, that would have been the first thing that I would have gone to is showing up on time. Mm-hmm. We're big about that. I mean, that's sort of, you know, 
talks about your intention for the rest of the day, whether you show up on time or not uh, for your team. So it is going to be tough, but, you know, that will be something that the project managers will come up with. It'll be something that they'll take down to the painters and, and as a group, they'll, they'll have to determine what that, what those numbers will be. So you're not determining the, the painter's <clears throat> number. This is, you're, you're empowering the project managers to then figure out a number for the painters. Absolutely. They'll do it together, the project managers and the painters. Uh, you know, the project managers will better understand, um, you know, this whole system and they'll be rolling it out to the painters. So then they'll, they'll coach the painters in, in coming up with that number. And I'll let them, you know, do that on their own. So what does that do for the, the project managers when you give them the authority and, and power to sit down and come up with these sort of metrics for the painters? Well, I think you said it, it empowers them. They feel, you know, part of something that, that isn't just being dictated to them, you know, they are in control of, of a lot of things in their day to day. And for you, if you just like ballpark, what, how long has your, you know, you have six project managers. What's the average amount of time that one of them has been with you for? We go from 21 years down to two. And so project managers. And then, it, and the two is just because he's young, right? Or, oh, actually, okay. who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So all in all, it's, I mean, you, all your guys have been there for a long time and they, they stick around for a long time. Yeah, they do. We try to try to find a good fit. You know, people fit our core values and, and, and keep them. We put a lot of effort into the hiring process and the training process. And, um, you know, we don't want to see them go. So that that's always our goal. So with you um, in particular, you're fantastic, you know, between working together about keeping up with technology in the sense that a lot of people that we work with uh, or at least talk to, it's you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm not going to learn this Internet thing. There's no way I'm going to shoot video, all that kind of stuff. Over the years, how has technology or the changes in technology affected the business as a whole? Do you look at it as a hindrance or do you look at it as a helpful tool that makes everything easier for you? I think both. I think initially I look at it as a hindrance, probably similar to how my employees look at, you know, when I bring them something new, mm -hmm. do I really need to know this? Is it going to stick around? Um, but I think once, once I see the value or get my head around something, I'm okay digging in. What is usually your process to see the value? Because I mean, as a being, we do social media and half the people out there, don't believe that Facebook's going to be around for too long, which is crazy. But for you, I mean, do you dip your toe in no matter what the platform is? Or is there something that it's the straw that breaks the camel's back that you're like, you know what, I I, I got to do this now? I think there is something that always is a tipping point for me. I, you know, there's those like five levels of adopter categories or something. I'm certainly not on the front side. But once I can see something, um, you know, in, in social would be a good example. I I was not active in it for the business, and I, I just I couldn't see the value because I don't think I could 
track the value initially. But then about two years ago, I was doing some research online and I came across a, a painting company in my area who I wasn't familiar with. And if you looked at their online presence, it would have been hard to determine the difference between them and us. So they'd been in business less than two years in our area and I'd been in business over 30. So it was, I think that for me, that was really the tipping point of, okay, Todd, you're, you know, you're, you're way behind, you know, whether you like it or not, you need to get to be relevant. You need, you need to be a part of this. So that was kind of the wake up call. It sounds like where you had the brand recognition, everybody knew who you were because you've been around for so long, but based online, you would have never known that if you just went straight up by social media, website, stuff like that. Very true. And, you know, and I could extrapolate five, 10 years down the road from that and, and see that if, if we didn't start uh, playing some catch up, we were going to be, <clears throat> you know, dinosaurs. Now, were you ever, because some people that I talk to, they go, well, we're just, Logan, we don't, we don't do the digital stuff. We just work only on referrals. Were you ever in that mindset where you just said, screw it, we're just going to rely on referrals only? Completely. Because my dad, you know, and I can still remember him saying this, built his business on referrals. I don't advertise word of mouth. And so, you know, not knowing any better, that was certainly my philosophy when I started painting. Um, you know, I said that a long time ago, but it, it still, you know, it took, I still suffered it when it came to, to digital. We, we were not doing enough with our website or anything online. It's much easier just to go, well, I'm only going to do referrals only than take on the, the massive challenge of putting your whole, whole business out there online. For sure. And, and that's fine. But, you know, don't expect to ever grow to, you know, it'll be more difficult to grow to a certain level if, if that's, that's how you're going to run the business. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's kind of like the mindset like that I have when I talk to people. I'm like, look, it's cool. You don't have to put yourself out there. You don't have to go online. Just know that there is this glass ceiling now that this is a small businesses game. Like I, I truly believe that entrepreneurship now because of social is a young person's game just because I have, at least for me, I have more energy and I'm happy hopping on the camera because I grew uh, uh, on my phone because I grew up with it. So like what you're talking about with a two-year-old company versus your 30-year-old company, it's it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And if you're continuing to hop on that digital train, eventually the 30-year-old company who's not doing it, they're 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 stunted in growth mode in essence. I agree with you. I think, you know, my kids would be, it would be so much more natural for them to do what I'm trying to do than it is for me. So, you know, it's a, it's a much uh, steeper learning curve for me, um, but I'm on it. I don't like to get left behind. So, so with you, if out of all the years that you've been in business, and, and I say all like you're a dinosaur, you're, you're not, but I don't know why. <laughs> well, did, why that I, was long. Yeah, it was long. long. I put like 14 L's in that thing. I don't know why. Uh, of all the stuff that, you know, all the technology changes that's come about, what's been like the, the hardest thing to overcome? Has it been the, the social media side of things or was it like 
way early on when the internet was still using dial up and you had to switch over to like DSL or something. No, it was, it's been social for me. Uh, definitely. Um, you know, I should have been doing things all along and learning as I went and, and I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't really until you and I started talking over well, almost a year ago, I think that I really started to get my head around it. And, uh, you know, it's just been like, drinking through a fire hose this past year in, in trying to catch up and learn and uh, all the, all the possibilities out there. So with, with all that, I mean, social media is catching up. You got to do email marketing. You got to do this. And the, the new super effective thing is, is the video marketing side of things. You've really seemed to embrace that as a whole. What, what's been the driving force to not only wrap your head around social media, but also get on board with doing all the video content? Well, I, I think I do believe that, you know, like everyone says that, that, that video is where things are going and, and you know, where they're going to be in the future, where they are now. And I'll be honest, it's, I am not very comfortable in front of the camera. Uh, so I think really when you and I talked last year, and you probably said something similar about video. This is where things are going. And I just took the camera out that day and, and shot some video because I knew if I didn't start, if I did not start that day, I probably never would. So you just took action and just said, screw it. If I don't do it today, that's it. Yeah. If, that, if I didn't do it that day, I then just hang it up and I'm going to be a dinosaur and go the way of the dinosaurs. So with, with all the video stuff, I mean, you got a, a big team over there. How have you gone about getting them to buy in? Because some people just want to show up to work, put the head down and work. But I mean, all your project managers, it, they, it, some of them you could tell like did not want to be there, but they still showed up, went on camera, answered all of our questions. How have you gotten them to buy into this whole video thing? They did. They showed up. They were good sports about it. It's slowly. That's the answer is slowly. It's it's a culture change for us. You know, I I I'm a firm believer that any culture change takes two full years to to be you know all all in, and it's it's really taken repeating the message. We just talk about video all the time. Um, we we look at video together. Uh, we critique what we've done. Um, it's just a part of every meeting we have video, 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 if we're together, I'm going to shoot a video of us. Um, I'm just, it's just getting them used to doing it. And, and, you know, all of them have had different levels of success because they're individuals based on age and how comfortable they are in front of the camera. Um, mm-hmm. but we're working with all of them and, and they're all progressing. So with that, I mean, it, you're just really keeping it so top of mind, it seems like that there's really no escaping it. And it's now just becoming part of the culture there, like you said, of your painters and now, you know, TV stars. Yeah. Well, I, I think they know, they know that if you're going to work at Triddle, you know, you're going to grow. I mean, that's, you know, that's part of working here is growth, personal growth. And they also know that they make involves some discomfort uh, being pulled outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so I think they realize some reluctantly that this is 
this is part of their job going forward and, and they're doing the best they can and we're all learning together. So this is not really like out of the norm for you. I mean, video is, might be a new video is right. Video is, but the, yeah. Okay. So, so you kind of have to have a culture of, look, we're going to constantly grow. We're going to have to step outside of our comfort zone every so often. So something like that's not new. It's just now the vehicle in which, or the new shiny object of, of what you guys are going for. That's what's different. That's right. You bet. What I'm asking them to grow on today may be different from, you know, what it was last year, but yeah. And for them, I mean, how much, like in your opinion, like how much trust do they need to build with you to go, okay, Todd has my best interest in mind because getting on camera the first time is scary as shit for lack of a better term. It, it is. You know, I think what has helped me, Logan, is that I showed them, I can go back and show them my first video. Mm -hmm. And how, I mean, I remember selling it to one of my employees, a millennial, and I was all excited about it. He said, boy, you look really stiff. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought, you know what, you're right. I do look stiff. But I can show them that I, you know, that I did something I wasn't comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And and I can show them the progression of how how I've gotten better, uh, just through the doing, to get my reps in. So, I think because of that, they're they're willing to trust that that they can do it too, and 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 follow me along. So it's 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 top down because that's what we do here when we hire yeah. instead yeah. of because we get a lot of people that will like apply, and I can't do interviews with all of them. We make them or we ask people to send a video of themselves answering four questions and what that does is that you know some people will respond saying hey look i don't feel comfortable being on video can we just talk about these questions and that's my first thing of nope you know like you're going to be on camera here so you need to get comfortable with it um but i i don't just type it out in an email and ask them to shoot this video i shoot the video myself and then email that link over to them and i think the last one i like messed up halfway through and like stumbled over my words but left that in there to show them that it's like hey look if you mess up totally cool because we all do it yep. so i i know it we'll helped and yeah and it, it it kind of made me vulnerable before they were so the fact that you did it first is is fantastic yeah you know one of our core values and we use these in hiring and, and anyone who comes in for an interview is gonna you know we're gonna lead through their core values is one of ours is adaptability, you know, the willingness to change in order to grow. So you know, they're, they know up front that this is, this is part of what trouble is. So for those core values, because a lot of people have, you know, they might have core values and sometimes they just like find them on the internet and they say, okay, here's our core values. How do you instill these in your people? Or is it you just hire based on the core values and it just is naturally in them? Well, I, you know, it's a great question, and it, it may not be super tangible. We we ask people what their core values are when when we're uh, in the interview process. We mm -hmm. talk to them about ours, and you know, let them know that this is what we're hiring based on. Our our field guys who are going to make the ultimate determination on whether a new employee stays or not. This is what they're they're judging them on, and it has to feel right. And if someone doesn't meet our core values if they don't have similar core values it's not going to be a good fit it's not going to feel right so it's a it's a constant conversation because it's it's not real measurable you know some 
adaptability and some of our core values aren't very tangible in the way that you can track it. So one uh, at that EO event I went to yesterday, what they they talked about uh, job skill versus soft skill, like, you know, characteristics. And they, they asked the audience, they say, most of us, do we hire on the person or do we hire on their job skill? And of course, we all go, oh, we hire on job skill. And they go, OK, great. But when you fire somebody, do you fire on lack of job skill or lack of character or you know, morals, and it's, you always fire on lack of character. So it's, right. it's funny that it's yeah. opposite, you know, we hire for the wrong stuff, but then fire for the opposite. So we're like doing it to ourselves. So it's, it's cool to hear how you go through that in your job interview process to actually talk about who are you as a person, because it's, it's much easier to teach somebody to paint than it is to teach somebody to be adaptable to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we've learned that lesson the hard way over and over before, you know, we were willing to recognize what was going on and, and, and start to change. And it seems counterintuitive to hire someone with no painting skills and then invest in them to become a, a painter. Um, but that's what we've found. We are far more successful at doing than, than trying to find a, uh, a skilled painter. And, and that's what there's a guy out there. He does. Um, his name is John <coughs> Julius, but he does. Um, he runs a uh, salon and he's huge on customer service and gifting. And he has a rule that says, like, we hire them like um, uh, stylists and, and cosmetologists directly out of school, because otherwise, if they come from somewhere else, we're way more about the experience than we are about the actual haircut. And usually they, they, if they come from some other salon, they have bad habits or they don't have our values. And he got burned enough that it, he said, eventually one day I just fired the whole staff and just started over. And now <laughs> we'll only hire them directly out of school. And it's been great that, ever since. That takes guts. It, it, uh, it takes a lot. Of, and you hear that every so often, <clears throat> people that just completely fire everybody and start over. Um, right. Clean house. Yeah. Yeah. But... I guess I don't know if it's coincidence that the the ones that do that that are speakers are the ones that made it, and the ones that fired everybody and then went under end up not being as speakers. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if it's <laughs> it's probably it's probably how it is because you don't want that person up on stage. But um, so so with you, you know, talking about adaptability, there's a lot of people out there that are super hesitant to doing the video stuff. You know, video is the future, and 20 years ago, they were probably saying, yeah, like I'll always adapt and I'll always evolve. But now that they're, you know, upper forties in their fifties, they still have another 10 years left of being out in the field and doing stuff. What would you say to someone like that that says that they're way too old to do this video marketing thing? Well, I, I'd say to them that it's their choice. I just know that if they choose not to, you know, that they're making a choice about their future and the future of their company. As long as they understand the consequences of that, then you know they'll be fine. And if looking at you know what that future looks like does not appeal to them, then I think they just got to break through and get get over it, get over themselves, and pull their camera out and start shooting some video. It's the idea that you have to pick your pain. Either pick the pain of being uncomfortable on camera, or pick the pain of having a potentially like you know, close down the shop in, in five, six years because everything's changed so much that you're just no longer relevant. 
So yeah, it's absolutely it's, pain's going to be there. It's just which one are you going to choose? So which one do you want? And which that's one do you exactly want? What I looked at. Perfect. So uh, to wrap all this up, let's just say you go back twenty years, Todd. Not you know, and, and you've been in business for long. Let's just say when you uh, at your ten year mark, right? You've been around for ten years at this point, so you you've had a lot of enough years under your belt. What's a piece of advice that you would give Todd back then? 10 years into the business? I would say, uh, don't be scared to ask for help and, you know, find mentors, not just one, find multiple people, um, you know, to be willing to, to ask questions and, uh, not try and, you know, reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, put yourself out there in, in that regard that, you know, you're, you don't know everything and uh, just finding people to learn from because what I've found in business is people want to help other people. If you've had any measure of success, you, you want to pass that on in any way you can and help, help others so they don't go through the same struggles you have and um, just, just ask. So for you, cause I, that's one of those things that, I'm a big, you know, take action. And every, I think a lot of people say like, just ask for help, but everybody's afraid to ask for help. So do you have like a specific time that you really reached out and did ask for help? And it really like, you know, helped you out immensely that like, like just like a tangible example, just to kind of go, look, I was struggling with this. I asked for help and here's where I am now. Well, I, I think, you know, I, I remember giving, giving raises one year and talking to my wife about it. And she said, well, you know, how do you get a raise? And I, I didn't know the answer to that question, honestly. Um, so I, I joined a, you know, a peer to peer group. Uh, um, and, and that really opened things up for me, allowed my business to grow uh, because it, it gave me some structure, allowed me to learn from people who were one or two or, 10 steps ahead of me. Um, so, you know, that's probably the most significant example. Mm -hmm. Which is a big one. Cause you, I mean, how do you, I know for me personally, it's, it's okay. Do I pay myself more if we have, you know, extra money left over? Do I put this back into the business? Do I put it back into the employees? So to actually figure out what makes sense, sometimes having a soundboard of somebody who's in the arena not friends, you know, sometimes a significant other is kind of tougher to talk to. It's, it's nice to kind of have a, a soundboard of other people that have been there. I think it is. And I think, you know, you have to talk to someone else who's an owner. That's such a different conversation. And, you know, being an owner can be sort of an, a lonely place in terms of finding other people to talk to. But if you can find them, uh, I think that's a really powerful uh, group of people to, to, ask, uh, to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's 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 helped me big time, and I love this EO thing. So I appreciate you turning yeah, me on to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Todd, I appreciate you you hopping on here and just talking all about the the journey, and then just I, I hate to say teaching old dog new tricks because you're not an old dog, <laughs> but they're definitely new tricks. So appreciate you. They you are, and I appreciate you teaching. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing my best. Thanks, man. Thanks, Logan.
All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Todd. He runs a rock star operation. It, I can't even stress it enough. It, it's super impressive. So if you like this, do me a favor. Uh, go ahead and leave us a review. Just letting us know how we're doing with everything. We're well past 100 episodes and we're going to keep going. But any feedback that you have is warmly welcomed. Thanks, guys.